is Carol Fishman-Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch, and welcome to our podcast, 321 iRelaunch, where we talk about strategies, advice, and success stories on returning to work after a career break. We're really excited to have here with us today our guest, Karen Ulrich Stacy. Karen Ulrich Stacy is the CEO of Diversity Lab which creates and tests innovative talent management and diversity initiatives. The lab's hallmark project, the OnRamp Fellowship, has helped boost diversity in law firms as the first reentry program ever launched in the legal department for women lawyers. 31 law firms and five corporate legal departments in the US, Australia, Canada, and the UK participate, in addition to Barclays Compliance Department. The fellowship has been expanding at a breakneck pace having started in 2014 with four founding law firms. Karen has been in the legal recruiting field for nearly 25 years, and she's a true visionary in regard to diversity initiatives in the law and beyond. She's also the creator of the first women's legal hackathon, which was held at Stanford Law School last June. Karen, welcome to our podcast. Thanks, Carol. I appreciate it. We're very excited uh, to have you on, and when we say legal visionary, we really say that with conviction. Um, I've uh, always looked up to you and respected all of the initiatives and original thinking that you have contributed uh, to the field of diversity and uh, also these very original initiatives in the legal arena and beyond. So truly a privilege to have you on. I wanted to ask you about, uh, first and foremost, the OnRamp Fellowship, and we'll probably spend most of our time today talking about that because this is a podcast about career reentry. Uh, and I wanted to know if you can just, first of all, give us a general description about the OnRamp Fellowship and maybe talk a little bit about the history of it and your motivation for starting it and, and how it's grown. Sure, I'm happy to. So the OnRamp Fellowship matches returning women lawyers to law firms, legal departments, and banks for a one-year paid fellowship, which usually ranges between $90,000 and $150,000 with benefits. And so far, in the three years we've been alive and kicking, we've placed um, more than 50 fellows. And 86% of them so far have been um, transitioned into longer-term roles as a result of the fellowship. Incredible, incredible numbers. And uh, just a reflection of how excellent the pool is and how excellent the program is. Can you tell us a little bit more about the pool and about the program uh, and I know I cut you off there to, to talk a little bit about the history and why you started in the first place. So maybe we should go back to that. And if you can just talk to us about how you came up with the idea. And then I'm very interested in the uh, characteristics of the pool uh, and also the program itself. Absolutely. So as you had mentioned in the intro, I spent the first 20 some odd years of my career as the head of talent for some of the largest and most global firms, uh, law firms in the United States and beyond. And as part of that, I hired almost 3,700 lawyers. And in doing so, there wasn't a week that went by that I didn't get a resume from a woman who had you know, typically taken a hi- hiatus uh, to raise children or for some other reason. 
And any time I had her resume up against a lateral, someone that was moving from a different law firm or from the government uh, or any other organization, I would typically lose out on trying to convince the practice group leader or those in management to even interview the woman with a gap on her resume. They would always respond with questions like, well, why did she leave in the first place? How do we know she's ready to come back now? How do we know she can hit the ground running? You know, law has changed or technology that 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 helps us do our jobs as lawyers has changed. How do we know that she has the updated skill set and knowledge to do this job? And even though I thought I was incredibly persuasive, was I able to get a woman with a gap in her resume interviewed? So when I stepped out of a law firm environment to create my own company, Lawyer Metrics, we began running money balls, essentially running diagnostics or data analyses on lawyers who had been high performers versus those who hadn't been as high performing or hadn't stayed. And in doing so, we started to see a pretty common algorithm about those who were successful. And as we sold that company and I started to think about what I wanted to do next, I realized that that idea of that data and proving with evidence that folks are successful or could be successful might apply to women returning to the profession. And so from that, OnRamp Fellowship was born. And as part of this, we run Moneyball analyses and psychometrics and structured behavioral interviews, all, thing, all things based in IO psychology, behavioral science, and data in order to better understand the women's skill set, their personality, their motivation, what makes them tick. And then we compare and contrast that to the high performers at the organizations that we're working with to help make a match. Because it's not just necessarily about, is this woman a great lawyer? Or is this law firm or this legal department a great place to work? It's whether or not the two culturally fit based on their values, based on their personalities, based on a lot of things that, as you know, sometimes inhibit a match. Wow. Well, that's an incredible um, history and background, and I understand the motivation for why you started the OnRamp Fellowship. So can you talk about the beginnings of it and when you started with the four founding law firms and then um, how it's been able to grow from there? Sure. So um, as you mentioned, we started with four law firms, uh, Baker Botts, Sidley, Cooley, and Hogan Lovells. Each in various geographic ranges, knowing that they had different target practice areas and target needs, we started with what we thought were four somewhat different types of law firms. And I approached them to say, you know, essentially for years, we've been trying to retain women and advance them into leadership positions. Um, But regardless of all of the work we've done, women still tend to leave the profession at a high rate. And so my pitch to them was, what if there are women who want to come back? What if those who left to raise children or to deal with elder care issues or to write a book, whatever they left for, what if they've done that and they're ready to come back? Because I've seen plenty of instances where they've applied to come back, but have had incredible difficulty getting back in. What if we could replenish the talent pool with talented women? And I could prove to you that based on you know who's been successful in your own, your own organization and running data on these women that they have a high probability of being successful in your organization what's the risk in trying this for one year it's a one year fellowship 
You're giving them a chance to come back into the fold. You get a chance to see them in action. They get a chance to see you in action. We'll support them through training, through coaching, and all kinds of other support, like peer cohort calls and meetings, and give them every possible tool that they need to succeed. And then you can decide for yourself if it's a worthwhile endeavor. Those four law firms all agreed to take one fellow, <laughs> and mm-hmm. it turns out that they all took more than one. And because it was such a successful pilot, we grew from being four law firms to oh, 30 some very- law firms, and most recently expanded into legal departments. And as a result of the success in the United States, we've also expanded into Canada, Australia, and the UK. Excellent. Thank you. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about what the process is like from the individual side, um, how you apply, who should be applying, and who is usually a successful candidate in terms of getting matched with a fellowship? Sure. You know, there's not one type that's successful. Um, We have had women apply who, and, and let me, let me back up to say, there are a couple of requirements. We look for folks who have been out for at least two years and that have at least three years of practice experience. Beyond that, there's not really one type. We have had women who have practiced, you know, as few as three years and as many as 20 years before they took their break. We've also had women who have taken a break of as few as two years and as many as 24 years. So where we often get questions are, gosh, you know, I'm in my late 40s or I'm in my 50s and, you know, I really am ready for my career 2.0, but I'm older than your average applicant. How is that going to be perceived? Mm-hmm. And interestingly, we have evidence to show that it's perceived very favorably. In fact, one of our first fellows had 10 years of experience and she had been out for almost 20 years. And not only was the firm thrilled to have her, they made her an offer to join them full time before her one year fellowship even ended. And again, you know, it goes to one, her desire to be back in practice and her amazing skills But I think it also goes to and and is contributed to by the support that we're giving the fellows. Because when they first walk in, they're worried that they don't have the technology skills or the legal skills um, or they're not going to be able to keep up the pace that that everyone is that everyone around them is. And Mm -hmm. part of what we do through the coaching and the training is remind them that they were fabulous before they left and that they're just as fabulous now that they're coming back. Um, and we try to give them the skills that they need to succeed. So they're also not doing this alone. They have a village of people, including the team at OnRamp, but also the 50-some-odd fellows in law who we've helped previously are all paying it forward and serving as mentors and sponsors to the women who are coming up under them. This is Carol Fishman-Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch, with the 321 iRelaunch podcast, and we have Karen Ulrich Stacy with us today, the CEO of Diversity Lab. So, Karen, I wanted to ask you about what happens when um, lawyers come back into the program. Are they coming back to the same area of law that they left, or are they switching to a new area? That's an excellent question, and one that candidates ask us 
fairly frequently. So for the most part, lawyers are coming back into the area of practice where they have some experience. So if they were a litigator previously, they're typically coming back and doing some variation of litigation law. It might be more in depth or in an expertise or in a specialist like labor and employment litigation, but they're still doing somewhat similar to what they did before they left. We do, however, have occasions where someone will say, look, I did not love what I was doing prior to my hiatus. What are the chances to retool? What are the chances to establish a whole different line of law in my career 2.0? And because we're to the point now where we're more established and law firms are willing to do things a little differently than they have previously, they are allowing folks to come in and retool. So um, we've had at least one instance um, recently um, where someone has come in and, and had been a litigator previously, but really decided that that wasn't the love of her life. And instead, she would have preferred and would prefer to do a different legal specialty trust in the state. And so the law firm was incredibly understanding of her desire to change, and they allowed her to switch mid-fellowship. We've also had instances where a woman knows right when they're coming back um, that they don't want to do what they did previously, and so they'll apply for positions where they may not have a ton of experience. That certainly is a lot harder to get back in, but if they've done something that's got transferable skills or transferable knowledge, that's been helpful. But for the most part, people are going back and doing what they've done, tweaking it slightly, um, but mostly what they've done previously, except for those couple of examples that we've started to experience more recently. Interesting. Can, can you walk us through how you apply for the program and what the application process is like, how many times a year you have open applications, and just some of the mechanics and logistics of, of how it works. I'm happy to. So our application process is actually very distinctly different than most other returnships. So whereas most other returnships you know, require you to upload your resume and enter a few demographics, such as your name and your email and all of those things, Ours is much more rigorous and much more demanding simply because, as you can imagine, the law firms with whom we work and the legal departments with whom we work are often very demanding about the information that they need in order to make judgments about they're interested in interviewing and ultimately who they're interested in hiring. Mm -hmm. The other reason that our process is a lot more demanding and rigorous is because part of it is to screen out those who are not committed to returning. So... When I started researching returnships and some of the programs that existed previously, one of the pieces of feedback that I got from various folks that were running those programs was that, you know, they, they get an awful lot of resumes. They get, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes hundreds or thousands of people who are interested. Mm -hmm. But as they go through the process with each of them, they realize that some of them are more committed than others. And they hear things like, well, you know, I think I'm interested in coming back, but I'm applying to this program to just see if it's right for me. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, our returnship is new in the legal field. In fact, it's the only structured returnship for women lawyers uh, that exists this globally and with this many law firms and legal departments. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And part of our difficulty is because it's new. If we have a lot of people who are trying out the fellowship and they're not sure if they want to come back, it sometimes leaves a bad taste in the mouths of the employers who feel like they got a year of work or a year of experience, but they're not really committed to potentially staying with that organization long term. Because mm-hmm. these organizations that sign up with us, they're interested in finding people who will be great for the year. But more importantly, they're interested in finding people who will be great for a longer term commitment. So the process is rigorous. It starts by filling out an application where we ask obvious questions about demographics, including, you know, location and where you've worked previously. Uh, But we also ask for some information about why you're interested in returning and what you hope to do. And then once we uh, finish the application or once the person finishes the application, And we've processed them and made sure that they, in fact, have been out two years and have at least three years of experience. We then move them to the next stage in the process. And these are various psychometric assessments. They're mainstream, not ones that we've created, but things that have been used in corporate executive hiring for decades. So these are the type of online tests. It's almost like Strengths Finders or Mm Myers-Briggs, but they're valid for selection and development. And essentially, the applicants go online. They take uh, uh, two assessments that typically take around 45 minutes, as well as a writing assessment, which takes about an hour. In doing so, we're able to collect data on these women's strengths that will allow us to best advocate for them and match them to organizations that we think they're going to be a good fit for on on a long-term basis. In addition to those assessments, we also do a one-hour structured behavioral interview where we talk to each woman one-on-one to better understand not only the data that we're seeing, but what that woman is trying to accomplish long-term and making sure that as we're talking to her, we understand her needs and her desires and then how that matches with the various organizations that have openings. Once they go through that process, we create a scorecard that we then give to the employers that the woman has shown an interest in. So for instance, right now we have over 200 positions across the country in various practice groups in various geographic areas with varying levels of experience required. The women typically say to us, I'm interested in these five positions with these five different organizations. And then we will submit her scorecard and her resume to those five different organizations. And then the organization will decide whether or not they want to interview her. 44% of the women who have applied have gotten interviews. And then It's up to the law firm or the legal department to make a decision if they want to hire them for the year-long fellowship. Got it. All right. That was extremely helpful and detailed. Thank you. Uh, And then can you talk about the competitive piece? Like you said, you have over 200 um, available positions. And does it work that, you know, X number of people are competing for the same role or it's more of this matching process that, that you're talking about? We get into specialties like FDA law, or we get into specialties like international affairs. There's not as many people who have experience in those areas. There may be folks who have transferable skills, but not necessarily direct experience. So sometimes there are not as many applicants for those types of positions, and they don't tend to be as competitive. Where we see a bit more competition is when you get into the more broad practice areas like transactional law, corporate law, general business law, M&A, mergers, acquisitions, that type of thing. Similarly, Mm -hmm. on the litigation side, 
Um, litigation positions are definitely more competitive because again, there's more people who practiced in terms of trial work and courtroom work and, and litigation work. Um, and then when you get into specialties, that changes the dynamic a bit, like I was talking about, but there is more competition for those roles. So one of the things we do is we have a rolling deadline. So we create a deadline every month and ask people to apply. And that deadline allows us to put forth people who have applied first for positions to the legal organizations. Mm -hmm. And so although we have multiple deadlines throughout the year, we tell applicants to apply quickly or as quickly as they can. And the first ones to apply are the first ones that we put in front of those organizations. So if an organization interviews a, a candidate and wants to hire her, they'll do so. And so then that mark, that position will be taken off the, the posting list and no longer available. So we do try to suggest to women that even though the deadline might not be until April 24th, if you apply April 7th and we work through the application process with you and, and you finish it, we're going to get your application to that organization sooner than the deadline implies. So it's better to apply now than it would be to wait. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, is there anything else about the program before? I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions about Diversity Lab, the um, larger umbrella uh, under which the on-ramp falls and the legal hackathon that you worked on uh, and created recently. Any other comments about the on-ramp fellowship itself that you think our listeners would want to know before we change our topic? Yes, I think the one thing I would mention, and I, I had referred to this earlier, but I didn't really talk about it in depth, is that one of the, the neatest things I think about the on-ramp fellowship is that because these women go through a rigorous application process and they take these online assessments, they then get a what ends up being a 20-plus page report about their skill set so mm -hmm. that as they're, as they're looking for a job and potentially as they're looking to come into the fellowship, We've got a ton of detail and they have a ton of detail about themselves and their skill sets and what they can position and advocate for themselves as strengths. And then also on the flip side, where they may have areas of improvement that they need to work on for whatever job they decide they want to take next. Mm -hmm. We also use that information as they're working through the fellowship so that their coaches can work with them one-on-one -on -one to identify those strengths and help them push those strengths out to the world. And then also look at any areas of improvement that might, you know, need some work. And when we do find those areas, so say writing is a problem or say public speaking is a problem, we mm -hmm. hire folks to work with them one-on-one -on -one to work on their skills throughout the course of the fellowship so that at the end of the fellowship, if they take a job with their current employer, great, but regardless, they will have the skills and abilities and the updated contacts that they need in order to be successful going forward. Mm -hmm. And the other thing we do is connect returners to other returners. So I think one of the most helpful things has been the cohort meeting that we have with the returners on a monthly basis. Not only do they get to kind of talk about what's going on with them, they get to hear what's going on with other returners. And I think they're always shocked to find out that some of the issues are similar and mm -hmm. they can share strategies and solutions with each other that are far better than advice they may just get from somebody else who doesn't really understand kind of what they're dealing with and what they're going through. 
So I think one thing I'd like to mention is just a parting note is that the support offered through the program, I think in a lot of instances has helped these women be even better as they think about and know their own skill set and how they can use that to their benefit, either in the fellowship or elsewhere for whatever they choose to do next. Yes, it is true that the relaunchers or returners, um, as, as you uh, call them, are they're unique. They're, they believe that there's no one else like them. And when they get into a cohort of other people who are like them and have that support, it's really uh, it's it's a it's a special kind of camaraderie, uh, and I can see how people draw great strength from that part of the program. Um, so, and can you just mention there? There's an application fee, correct, for it? Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. So there is a hundred and seventy-five dollar application fee, and although I would love to someday be able to to eliminate that. That fee goes directly to the assessment provider. So the people we purchase the assessments from, the application fee goes directly to them. Because as you can imagine, you know, because these are not our tests, these are not our writing tests, and these are not our online assessments, we have to work through a what's called an assessment uh, provider. And that's who administers the tests. That's who creates the reports. And so the application fee goes directly to that provider and then allows us to obviously have the data as well as the person taking those assessments so that we can talk through next steps and how to best position them for employment. Okay, so can you just um, give us a little bit of the bigger context here? I know that you're CEO of Diversity Lab, and can you just tell us uh, just quickly about Diversity Lab? And I know on-ramp fellowship is one piece of that, but maybe talk about um, some of the other um, parts of what you're doing. I'm happy to. And interestingly enough, when I started on-ramp fellowship, the idea was to help returners come back in an effort to replenish the pipeline. But one of the things that it did that I didn't realize would happen is so many people, mostly partners in law firms and others said to me, this is great. I mean, this is essentially us trying something new to further advance diversity in the legal profession. And I kept hearing, what else you got? And so mm -hmm. Diversity Lab was born somewhat out of the desire on the part of the people participating in on-ramp fellowship to try new and innovative ways to increase diversity and inclusion in the legal field. And so Diversity Lab now runs a, a series of hackathons where leaders in law firms and legal departments come together and essentially hack. <laughs> really, it's about coming up with solutions to tough problems together in a community. And then we're working with those same law firms and legal departments to put the ideas they're coming up with in place. And so just as an example, we ran a hackathon, as you had mentioned, in June of last year. One of the ideas was to take the Rooney rule, which is being used by the NFL to increase the uh, diversity in head coaches and in the administration office, and apply something similar to that in the law firm world. So we now have 20 plus law firms who in a couple of months are going to test what we're calling the Mansfield rule. It's named after the first woman who passed the bar. Oh, that's and it's great. inspired by the Rooney rule, but we're borrowing from other industries, just like we did with the relaunch program. 
We're borrowing from other industries and tweaking things a bit in hopes that we can learn from what people in other industries have done. We can learn from data and research and behavioral science about how to tweak them and make them even better. And then we're testing them in law firms who are forward thinking enough to want to try it. Um, and one of the major things we're doing as part of that is we're running metrics and data to see how well they're working. And then, and this is big, we're sharing the knowledge. So if something works, we tell the world and we tell them why. Mm -hmm. And if something doesn't work and it fails, we tell them what's not working and why. Because we mm -hmm. believe strongly that the knowledge sharing is going to help the community as a whole move diversity faster and farther than it has previously. Right. Well, that's incredible work. And I'm, I'm just constantly amazed at the... Uh, insight and originality that you have in attacking some of these really difficult problems. Uh, so Karen, as we wrap up, I just have one more question for you. Um, do you have a piece of advice for relaunchers for uh, in law or broadly uh, that even if it's something that overlaps with something you might have mentioned on the podcast already? Yeah, I think there's two things, right? So I have a lot of advice for for relaunchers simply because... Or I guess your your favorite piece of advice. Okay, all right. Gosh, Carol, why do you make it so hard? <laughs> you know, my favorite piece of advice is twofold because there's no way I could give you just one thing. First and okay. foremost, I would suggest that people not just rely on their resume alone as their mouthpiece to explain who they are and to give background on their experience. Definitely update their social media because law firms and legal departments and others in this field really look to those outlets as supplemental information. And anytime they look at a resume and if they go to a LinkedIn profile, just as an example, and they don't see a picture or they don't even see a LinkedIn profile at all, it sometimes sends the message that maybe that woman or that relauncher is really not up to date on technology or is not up is not committed to returning because if they were, they would have all of these things in place. And that may or may not be true, but it certainly is a perception among employers. Mm -hmm. So one piece of advice is definitely have a great resume or CV, but don't discount how important social media and in particular LinkedIn is to have mm -hmm. a great bio because sometimes you can supplement and explain your gap on your LinkedIn page in a way that you can't do as easily on your resume. Mm -hmm. And then the last piece of advice, which kind of goes hand in hand, is don't excuse or defend your hiatus. Mm -hmm. You took a break. And by the way, I love—I I really don't love the word break because very rarely is it actually a break. I've had a child and am raising him still, and it's not a break. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. <laughs> but don't excuse it or defend it. You know, simply state it on whatever medium you're using, like your LinkedIn page or your resume in whatever way it makes most sense. But also, and most importantly, in the interview process, if you only have 20 minutes, don't spend 10 of it trying to explain or defend or excuse your hiatus. Come up with one or two sentences that explains your hiatus and why you're ready to come back and leave it at that. Don't get into details unless they ask and don't try to defend or excuse it unless you feel like there is some really good reason that the interview is not going well because you haven't done that. But for the mm -hmm. most part, if you simply say, 
I took a hiatus in order to spend additional time helping to raise my family, but I am ready to come back. I have taken this course, that course, and done X, Y, and Z in order to get my skills up to date and to prove that this is the right time for me, and so I'm ready. Something as simple as that is all that's needed to explain the hiatus. Excellent, excellent advice. Well, Karen, thank you very much for uh, participating on our podcast today. It's been wonderful having you. Carol, I think the world of you. So thank you for inviting me. Thanks again to Karen Ulrich Stacy, CEO of Diversity Lab, who we've been speaking with on our podcast today. And Karen, can you please tell us if people want more information, what is the uh, website for OnRamp Fellowship? The website for OnRamp Fellowship is www.onramppfellowship.com. Well, thank you very much. Uh, You've been listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast of iRelaunch.com. This is Carol Fishman-Cohen, CEO of iRelaunch. And please make sure that you take a look at the tools and resources, success stories, advice, and events that we have for you on the iRelaunch.com website. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.